Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to My Life as a Montage. It's the show where we talk about music and how it fits into our lives. I am Keith Campbell, and I'm joined, as always, by Ian Shea Care. Ian, how are you today? I am doing fabulously, and I uh, just want to give a quick note to the folks out there. Uh, I We originally had planned on doing this one a few days ago, but uh, I got stuck on the tarmac in Las Vegas, and so uh, screw you, airplane industry. <laughs> well, glad to see that you're at least getting out of the house and out and about and traveling. Yeah, I spent the Fourth of July. I spent the Fourth of July weekend uh, in an active adult community uh, in Southern California that my parents live in. That I realized once I was there, I will be eligible to live at in about five years. So uh, fantastic! You're horrible. One of the two. <laughs> Are you going the Kramer route or starting to uh, lay your uh, groundwork to be the the, the next president? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going all in with, uh, you know, pot roast, uh, potlucks every day and, uh, you know, keeping the music from those, from those flim flarm kids down. So that sounds like a winning ticket. Uh, so what do you have for us this week? Uh, so, <laughs> so because, uh, uh, the reason I mentioned that this would have been uh, recorded a few days ago is, uh, I was originally, uh, wanting to bring it up around the 4th of July weekend. Uh, and the song that we are going to talk about today is George Michael's uh, Freedom 90. Now, this is Freedom 90 because there was a Wham song that was called Freedom. And so in in stepping out here, you know, you don't want two George Michael songs named Freedom. So we've got Freedom 90. This was yes. released on October 30th, 1990. It's the second U.S. single off of George's album, Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1. It went up to number eight on the Billboard Hot 100, but you don't know it for its charting potential. You know it for the David Fincher music video, starring Christy Turlington, Linda Evangelist, and Naomi Campbell, Cindy Crawford, and Tatiana Petitz. I'm giving the double thumbs up at Keith right now. Yes. Um, so, yeah, this was an interesting time in George Michael's career where he was starting to kind of bristle at the notion of his own fame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, as I, as I had mentioned before, he was part of the ginormous uh, pop group Wham with Andrew Ridgely uh, that you would know them for wake me up before you go, go and careless whisper and last Christmas and all those hits that were, you couldn't have avoided uh, in the middle not eight, 1980s, if he had tried. Um, and by the way, there is an, uh, uh, much like pink with the yes. exclamation point, there is an exclamation point at the end of Wham! So it's technically, <laughs> so it's technically Wham! Right. Of course. Of course. Uh, famously, you know, he stepped out of, of that group uh, to be his own solo artist, um, yep. had to, to at least ginormous, singles on his own in Faith and Father Figure before this came out. And this was kind of, the lyrical content is very much, I am tired of jumping through these hoops for these people. Um, More than anything, I would call this the Dr. Manhattan theme song. Yeah. (laughs) That is funny. I I would not have thought of that. I am sick of these people. I am sick of their entanglements. I'm going off to Mars. Yeah, Thank you very yeah. much. 
I, I had not thought of that, but that's actually a great, uh, a great bit, uh, about it. You know, the interesting thing about, uh, about it is that I, well, there's a couple of things about it and one I'll, I'll get to in a moment, but he also, uh, you know, I think he had father figure, he had, uh, faith, um, but also, uh, uh, freedom 90 came out directly after, uh, I want your sex. Oh um, yeah. And so, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, you know, because it was, uh, to that end, you know, all three of those songs were on his first solo album, faith and, yeah. uh, and listen without prejudice came out with, without a lot of fanfare, uh, it, it, to my memory, it came out actually the second month I was in college. Uh, okay. and, and so I was actually doing college radio at the time and we, you know, a, a, if you out there are familiar with kind of nineties college radio, it was very much, uh, if you've seen the movie high fidelity, it's the guys from John Cusack's record store playing music, trying to sound smarter than everyone else. I can and, safely report to you that it's, it was the same in the early two thousands. It wasn't. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you know, the much like there, uh, much like later in the nineties with Alanis Morissette's, uh, Jagged Little Pill, uh, Listen Without Prejudice and Freedom 90, uh, were in heavy rotation at my, at my college mixed in with sugar and cracker and front two, four, two and nine inch nails and all the other stuff because, and we had discussions about it, that it was just a damn good song and oh, just yeah. really, really good. Whatever you think of the video and whatever you thought of George Michael's reputation at that point, which was definitely, as you mentioned, uh, in a state of flux. Right. Right. And, you know, talking about the song itself. So it's got the, the, the really great um, like piano riff that just pulses through it. It's got the bass line from Funky Drummer um, mm-hmm. through the bridge. It's a really, really well-crafted pop song. Um, yeah. You, you know, I, I put it on, you know, as part of doing the research for this. And I was amazed at how well the recording hold it up. Or, mm-hmm. or held up given how um how other stuff that would have been you know recorded around the same time sounds um you know it's very much not of the late 80s you know bigger is better sound gigantic reverb everywhere it's it's a very raw record for mm-hmm. a pop song yeah i it's funny because i was actually uh I, if, have you seen the documentary uh, came out on Apple Music? Uh, I want to say two years ago, uh, the 808 documentary. No. About, it's an entire documentary about the Roland 808 drum machine mm. and how it changed hip hop, dance music, and then right. all of music, you know, ever since it came out in the early 80s. Uh, and this song, as I was watching that documentary and we had already talked about what song we were going to talk about, uh, this week, uh, I was thinking of the way freedom 90 is constructed with, mm. with that, with that funky drummer riff, uh, and 
for those of you who don't know, uh, Funky Drum. When we talk about Funky Drummer, it is the song "Funky Drummer" by James Brown, uh, and it is one of the three most sampled tracks ever. Yep. Yep. Uh, that that drum line, you've heard it a thousand times. I know you have. Yes, um, but, you absolutely but, have. There's give, give Clive Stubblefield his his money, please. Yeah, uh, but the way that it's constructed with that kind of it, 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 it if you took dance music like club hits of the time, yeah. it would have been much more monotonous. There was there is not only in the background and in the music, uh, you know, the harmony for it is this gospel riff. From mm-hmm. the from the group in the back, but he had but his tone through the song too has this very kind of uh, it, it, he is speaking from his pulpit. He's yeah. speaking from his bully pulpit when he sings this song, and I, I I agree with you. I've I've actually listened to it multiple times over the last week or two, um, yeah. both the original version and the MTV unplugged version, which just like breaks bores through your soul if yeah. you get if you get a chance to hear it but it, i mean it's just a great track it, it is one of my it will always be one of my favorite songs of all time yeah uh, it's a it's a uh you know i was yeah you know, given that we were going to record this like last week you know i was i had had it in my head and you know just kind of thinking about the legacy that it's got i was like in my head while I was making dinner one night, just like humming the the piano riff in my head. I'm like, Oh wait, I've heard this elsewhere more recently. Mm-hmm. And like, you, know, you could, you could bridge the song and a more talented DJ or, or mashup artist than I could transition this into like the scissor sisters, take your mama out like mm-hmm. easily, easily, easily. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you, you could you could you could link it to a lot of the great tunes of the past decade or two decades. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can hear a little bit of uh, of the the yeah, you know, you hear a little a uh, little bit of the ting tings and the yeah yeah yeahs in there. Mm-hmm. You hear a little, uh, you know, what came out of that that kind of that kind of rawness, you know, you yeah. uh, uh, that comes out of it. And, but at the same time, it's very well produced, and so right. it, it, there's a lot to it that you hear what's funny is now I've been listening to it and this is not to, uh, this is not to be an Apple shill, but, uh, I've been listening to it on my, on my AirPods pros, uh, with the new spatial audio. Cause on Apple okay. music, it's in on Apple music. It's in Dolby Atmos now with in total lossless. So, if okay. it, so it's high res spatial audio on all sides. So it, if you have that on some good headphones that have that ability, you hear every note, every layer, every beat coming at you from all sides. Oh, it's just really cool. (laughs) Now I ended up listening to it a couple of times when we were, we eventually um, ended up having to to scarper to to this week to record this. And, you know, on the, you know, little, not little um, knock around folding Sony's that I've got uh, through the, um, through the laptop soundboard and it was yeah yeah amazingly produced song yeah um you know i think too you know the around the time of uh george michael's passing um in 2016 he was you know part of that illustrious class with prince and david bowie which is like it's crazy to think that was five years ago Um, And, and and alan rickman was the same month yeah yeah 
Um, but anyway, um, I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> um, a lot of the uh, retrospective came up around the um, the making of the video and the the legacy of that. In terms of, you know, it was very rare at that point for an artist to not appear in their own videos. Um, you know, if, if you're unfamiliar with it, the five supermodels that I mentioned before, each take it in turns to lip sync parts of the song, um, you know, walking through these like really like kind of like proto hipster um, mm-hmm. studios in, in Soho. Um, and, you know, I, I was reading through one of the oral histories uh, of the, uh, the making of the video and Tatiana Petit's probably the one of the five that has had the least enduring career uh, post freedom 90 uh, mentioned, you know, just brought up, you know, that it stood the test of time. It's not like you look at it and say now, Oh my God, it's so eighties. It's so, or like, you know, Mm-hmm. Given that any time that you look at medium of a decade, it takes until like the mid to end of the decade to really get the aesthetic that that decade will be known for. Yeah. And yeah. what I think about is how far ahead <laughs> of its time this video was for the decade in that it it's a very sleeker looking bit of media to what would have been coming out at the big in 1989, 1990. You have to remember there, like the first couple of years of the nineties were, you know, just carry ons from Mm -hmm. the hair metal, big poofy shoulders, working girl age. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't until, um, you know, something like this and probably more realistically like the saturation point of grunge that you get to see like what people would know now as like the nineties aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it is interesting that I think a lot of people forget that that 1991 period really was a holdover and a transitional period from that. Yeah. That eighties pop to, uh, and, and then got completely derailed by, uh, by grunge and then electronica and then yeah. the happy rock and then it, pop kind of had to come back around again uh yeah. in that in the late part of the in the late part of the decade yeah i mean the other uh, the other album that came out about the same time as listen without prejudice was uh was uh, world click by delight uh okay. where uh, another one of the great pop songs of all time groovers yeah. in the heart came from you know but those two uh both i think the reason i remember both is because both really do sound timeless in a time when they're, when they're, you know, when you were between these two, these two very distinctive sounds. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the aesthetic of sound and the aesthetic of visual presentation that really kind of looks like what you saw in freedom 90 and looks like what you saw leading Miss Keir rocking in, Mm -hmm. in, you know, any presentation that they had were kind of the template for what you'd see with, the Spice Girls at the end of the decade. Yep, absolutely. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, and you can actually, if you if you're a super nerd like me, you can mark the you can mark the the milestones along that. You know, you yeah. get your cat, you get your Kathy Dennis and your, uh, you know, and, and uh, early 
early Natasha Bedingfield and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know, into Kylie Minogue and, and then on, which was right. all this kind of like proto Madonna stuff after Madonna kind of went her own direction. And so right. it's interesting to, it's interesting to think about that now, 25, you know, what a uh, shit 30 years later, <laughs> God damn it's 30 years. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, so Ian, where does this fit in your montage? So I actually remember this, uh, where this fits is the first time I saw the video and I'm glad we didn't get too much into the video because, uh, there's a point to, there's a point to it. Um, part, uh, so if you've seen the video, as we talked about it is, you know, uh, one thing about the five models is they are in various states of undress, Mm -hmm. uh, Cindy Crawford in the bathtub, I think is the, is what was most well-known for my friends at the time. Which is funny Uh, because she was the most disappointed about her scene because she felt like she had the least to do. Yeah, because she was just in the bathtub, barely covered. Right. Uh, But the five women or the five women were in various states of undress. Uh, They are walking through. It's very steamy, very, you know, I mean, it's all very sensual. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would but I would not call it erotic. It was definitely sensual. So where this fits into my montage is the first time I saw the video, it was at a guy that I went to a guy that I went to high school with who uh, I am now no longer friends with. We have gone different ways politically. Uh, And I remember being at his, in his living room and uh, we were just kind of hanging out, watching MTV as one does in 1990. Mm And uh video came on and Kurt Loder came on with a uh, whenever they would play during the day, they would have a parental warning uh, about it. And I know. And the thing was that we watched it and he sat there and was like, holy crap, this is hot. And I didn't see it that way. And I never saw it that way. Right. And because uh, and, and here's why, and here's why this matters to me. And here's why I, I really wish we could have recorded this last week at the end of pride is the song was seen as George Michael, uh, standing up against the shackles of his image, uh, and mm-hmm. what, what MTV had made him. Right. But in my mind, and I don't know where I went with the why I went here immediately. The song was also George Michael coming out. And Let, let's put a pin in that. I will come back to it. Okay. I'll come back to it because it, it, it actually isn't. I know it isn't. But in it's, my it's mind, become it. It's become that. I know. But, I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't, but that's how I and, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. Because right. it, it will always I, I I mean I've I've heard him talk about it since and I know I now have the context, but you know, you hear you hear lyrics like, you know, heaven knows I was just a young boy, didn't know what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I know I was every little hungry schoolgirl's pride and joy, and I guess it was enough for me. You know, that kind of thing. Uh I know I know what he intended now. But at the time, I saw it as both, as him saying both things. And 
I had a really good friend at the time, and I've actually never talked about this publicly. Uh, I had a really good friend at the time who I worked with at the radio station on campus. Uh, and so I'd seen the video probably three or four more times since then. And my friends were all talking about, you know, how hot Cindy Crawford was and how Linda Evangelista looked and, yeah. um, and the whole thing. And they completely missed the point, uh, whether it was my point or the point of the jacket from the, I want yeah. my sex video being blown yeah. up and, and the guitar from the faith video being blown up. Um, I went to do my show on Saturday night that week. Right. Uh, Cause I did the Saturday night show where, and uh, this friend, um, we were talking about the song and she came out to me that night. Okay. And it was the first time anyone had ever done that with me. And it was, it was difficult to understand what a friend is, was supposed to do at that time. Right. Because, you know, I'm very much a kid of the, I'm very much a kid of the eighties, late seventies, early eighties. And so, uh, what I, you know, what I really leaned on from that was that, you know, this was this person's at the time choice, you know, to tell this to me and to live this life. And I felt like, you know, what, who am I to tell you? Who am I to judge? Who am I to be? And, and you know, so I, I put those two moments together from that same week that one of the, one of them was, you know, the first one was seeing the, seeing the video for the first time, hearing the song for the first time. Um, and just hearing the kind of unbridled uh, missing of the point of my friends and then hearing someone for whom the song became kind of a catalyst for them feeling brave enough to be able to come out to a friend. And so I will never forget it for that, but Mm -hmm. let's, uh, you know, and now that I've given the montage part of it, yeah, let's have the discussion about the fact that it wasn't really him coming out. So yeah, the, the writing of the song wasn't, however, the song was part of a performance that he considered and that, you know, mentioned, we actually, you know, officially, you know, in his, in his um, 1998 CNN interview, um, kind of deemed his, his quiet, what he called his quiet coming out ceremony. Was mm-hmm. that, um, was the Berlin uh, 1994 performance they did, you know, the November, you know, everybody mm-hmm. um, commemorating the, the five-year anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, and he started with Freedom 90 but he finished with a song called Jesus to a child yep. that was written about his deceased, um, you know, first homosexual lover and some of that Philippa, um, you know, it was, you know, that song to him was the one where, you know, he would put that out there and, you know, if you heard it, you understood and yep. you knew, um, and yeah, I'm sure that, you know, and, and I've seen, quotes from him about how, you know, Freedom 90, now when he looks at it, he goes, oh, yeah, of course. But that wasn't the one that he consciously, like, dedicated to his own coming out. Right, 
And, and you know, uh, I think that I, I've, I've read that as well. And so I, I'm glad that we have the context around it. I think in some, I think in some ways, uh, you know, and, and he talked about this a little bit, especially later in life and especially the, the 98 CNN interview after he was, uh, obviously cited for, uh, lewd conduct and at Griffith park in LA, um, was, uh, you know, there was no more hiding from it, but I think, I think that there was definitely, uh, you know, it it was always kind of a thing where, uh, in the eighties, we just didn't ask, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, in the eighties, we just, I mean, sure. Totally should have known, you know, I'm sure my kids would watch the wake me up before you go, go video and be like, dude, he's gay. You know, but uh, we just, we just didn't, uh, we didn't ask, you know, it was very much a don't ask, don't tell type of, uh, uh, of space. So the, you know, I think the, the fact that I went there for me was, um, probably also about figuring out who I was too. Hmm. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've always been straight. I've always presented straight, but I met a lot of, uh, growing up in a very parochial religious school type of upbringing. Um, my first quarter is my first couple of quarters of college were, uh, I met more gay people in those, you know, six months than I'd ever met in my entire life or that I knew of. And so it was kind of a, uh, there was an awakening for me as someone who would now consider themselves an ally. Right. So I love the song and I'll always love it. And I'll always love it for, for that moment. And it always will show me, it will always remind me that there are going to be people who miss the point and don't understand that that video was intended. It was almost intended to, say exactly the opposite of what your kind of proto eighties. Yeah. Rom, you know, sex comedy boy would have, would have thought. Well, cause, cause as I mentioned, you know, it was very rare for artists not to appear in their own videos. And especially when you consider about, when you consider the idea of models being hired to perform in the videos, they're usually there to prop up the sexual bona fides of the lead singer or something like that. Yep. Yep. Um, and this was five women completely owning their space, you know, yes. In the service of a male pop star song, but they were, you know, they were directed, you know, they were shot as they, they, they were shot with angles that were very like hero angle And, you know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not an expert on the film semiotics of it, um, I have some history with photography, but not right. enough to like be able to say, let's put it this precisely. way. It was, yeah. It wasn't the same as how the same five women would have been shot in a two life crew video or in a white <laughs> snake or in a white right. snake video. You right. Know, right. I mean, and then if you think about, it, I mean, not to get too deep in the weeds, but then if you start thinking about, you know, with David Fincher's eye, it's going to be that you have to take that into account as well. But it will always be a moment that I remember both for, you know, for bringing something new to me, but also bringing uh, an understanding of some of the people around me, both good and bad. 
Right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. We've been getting deep on the last few. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to do one that's like around the wheels on the bus and the montages. Like it was my first time at kindergarten or something like that. That's going to be. Yeah. But then that's going to, that's going to open a whole can of nostalgia worms there too. (laughs) True. But that's what we signed up for when we, when we decided to do this. That's, that's very true. And we hope that, uh, that if you've been listening thus far, you'll continue on with us to the next one. And in the meantime, may all your montages play to sunlight. Thank you for listening to My Life as a Montage. I've been Keith Campbell, joined by Ian Shaker here. Our intro and interstitial music has been Funny Animals by Crow Ender. It was found on freemusicarchive.org and is being used under Creative Commons. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.